Hi, everybody. Uh, we are here for this expert talk. I am Elizabeth Claire DeLune, and I have the pleasure of interviewing Lucia Lalita today. She's a sex, love, and relationship coach based in Guatemala who works with people to develop their understanding of Tantra, not just in the bedroom, but in everyday life. So welcome, Lucia. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi, everybody out there. So excited to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. And I think we'd love to hear a little bit about how you got started in the work that you do. How did you get interested in this path? Sure. So I got started about seven years ago when I first had my first visit of an echo village in Germany where people live in community. And it was like the first time I got introduced to such a way of living. And I had my spiritual awakening there, I would say, because it blew my mind so wide open to see people living in a way that's so foreign to society, like no elbow mentality, just corporations of competition. And basically I gave up my life after that visit and started traveling around certain communities. And I ended up in one that was specifically around Tantra and open relating, polyamory. And I really found home there, like spiritual home, mental home, emotional home. I didn't stay there for very long. But that was the start of my journey where it's like, wow, people have actually spiritual benefits from sexuality. <laughs> that was like two things that did not go together in my mind before. And so I was really starting to dig deeper into that. And I found a teacher in Hamburg in Germany where I'm actually coming from. He started to train me. He started to yeah, see the depth of what I'm bringing to the table. And Basically, after a few months, already let me uh, assist in his uh, workshops and trainings. So I got two and a half years with this teacher and made my way from there, really. Awesome. Yeah. So what would you say is the biggest thing that you took away from that training that you did in Hamburg? I think really my own sexual healing because I got heavily traumatized as a child due to sexual violence and physical violence, emotional violence. And I started healing my trauma story by actually giving tantric massages, which is like you actually really massage the whole body, not just parts of the body, but the whole body. Normally when people say full body massage, they always don't touch genitals. So in tantric massage, genitals will be touched but it's not like an erotic massage where there's an end goal of orgasming, but it's really to raise the frequency, to raise the energy in a client and then to distribute the sexual energy throughout the body. So that can lead to full body orgasms, but not necessarily can be as well very healing, especially for women with store a lot of trauma in our genitals and to work with this and got worked on my body really like, throughout this two and a half years together with some other therapy modalities that really kickstarted my healing. Yeah, amazing. And are those practices that you still use today? I am um, having developed away from classical tantric massage rituals. So I'm doing only fully clothed massages, basically going into the pelvic area more on an energ energetic level as well with the body, but not anymore so much to focus on the genitalia. So tell us then more about what, what is it that you do? How do you work? Any of, any of that? Right, I study with Lila, as you do, and many others who get interviewed yeah. here. So it's like such a sweet family reuni reunion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that really 
was the start to me more going into teaching and coaching and like not going so much more into the hands-on approach that I did for like the several years before, but really going into teaching people how they can achieve with breathing, energy, circulation techniques, focus on the sensuality, on the senses, on our five senses that we have as a gateway, right? Between us, our personal experience and the life surrounding us. So there's so much there that I use. It's, you know, what everybody's different and what everybody needs is so different. So really look into what is the approach of the client? Where do they want to go with this? And then I have like a vast toolbox that is so open and full and rich due to many trainings that I had to see, okay, what's the best fit for this person that we can achieve the goal that he's coming in with or she's coming in with or they're coming in with, like I've worked with couples and individuals of both sexes or all of the sexes yeah <laughs> yeah so so then um what what is the path or what is the like what are the frequent things you see coming up that people need to learn in order to really embody this tantric lifestyle just in their whole life not just talking about the bedroom what are the shifts they need to make right so what I see over and over again is that Tantra is just widely misunderstood as something that's only happening in the bedroom and only happening between a couple. So people think that they cannot learn Tantra when they are single or that they have to get naked in our coaching sessions, what they absolutely don't have, what's actually forbidden, even by law. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's a lot of education that's to be done first and foremost. And then it's a lot of body work. It's a lot of working with the inner parts, you know, to like doing a body scan and feeling, okay, where are we contracted? Where are we open in our body? And when we sense deeper into the contraction and the openness, there's always kind of a sub-persona to these places in our bodies that can communicate because like one thing of Tantra is that everything holds consciousness, right? So when everything holds consciousness, the blockage in my body holds a consciousness I can communicate with. And usually behind this blockage, there's a, a part of ourselves hidden that we may like, may not like, but we can definitely communicate and go into an exchange with this, with this persona. And often, because we walk around the topics of like relationship, love issues, sexuality issues, you know, we always go back into the childhood. We always go back, okay, what have you learned about sexuality from your parents, from society, from the media, right? What is your sexual development? Have you had traumas? So we go into each of these parts and we develop a relationship to these parts that are hidden in our bodies and give them a voice so they have a right to speak. And then when they have a right to speak and come forward, they don't have to fuck up our lives anymore from the background, you know? Otherwise they would just slip out of our mouth, of our actions in most random moments to just screw up our lives basically because we don't give them the attention they need to heal. Yeah. Yeah. Over and over again is that people just have these blockages from their childhood, from education, from their parents, what they must do, must not do, are allowed to do, are not allowed to do, and then develop a persona around this of like, oh, it's shameful to do kinky sexuality, for example. I have this fantasy, but therefore, because it's not allowed to have that, I'm a bad person. So it's really very diverse what people, what people's issues are, but it's always basically going back to the childhood and seeing, okay, what led to your belief systems now, where are they stored in the body and what can we do? What do these personas that we have inside, what do they need to heal? 
Yeah. Yeah. And you said you work with individuals and couples both. Yes. And I wondered if you had any insights then on the couples that you work with or from your own life um, also and what you've learned from partnership about what creates like a happy couple or what creates a fulfilling partnership in your opinion or how does it inter how does that interlace with the work that you do? Yeah, so if the couples are open, I always have this two-way approach that I work with the couple in a session every other week. And then in the week between, I have a single session with the individuals, mm -hmm. you know, with the man and with the woman who form, or with the man and man who form the couple. And um, we go into their own story, and then we bring it together in the next week to see, okay, how is your own individual story I got to know a little bit more of influencing the couple's dynamic? And then we go deeper into that. And then I give them practices, communication practices or connection practices like eye gazing or sensual massage or even just the ability to fully listen to each other. What maybe we've never got taught in school, right? We don't get taught these things. So it's my job basically to teach some new skills around relating and openness and honesty, holding space for each other, but as well the physical practices of, as I said, eye gazing or massage or yeah, these things so that they can move closer to each other and understand better where their issues are coming from. You know, when, when they have a better understanding, then they can be more compassionate for each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I, something came up to me to me to ask which is i think in our society sometimes we can think or people will say that sex isn't important or connecting like if the chemistry isn't there in the bedroom or that's faltering that you should just and the relationship is okay otherwise you should just push through or it should be good enough or right like what would you say to that belief that that is so prevalent i would definitely say there is a thing to chemistry you know when it's not there at the beginning it's usually not there you know some couples start with another emphasis on their relationship like I'm just coming out of a relationship where it was a huge like mental approach because we're going through kind of same kind of um, awakening symptoms and we had such a vast understanding of where the other is coming from but our chemistry was just never really good and I'm in celibacy right now, so a phase where I don't engage sexually with other people, so it was okay. And um, for other people where there was the chemistry there at the beginning, but it got deteriorated over time, you know, with like routines coming in, maybe kids coming in, boredom comes in, it's definitely an educational problem, you know, because people have this idea from porn or from society how sex should look like or as you said you know when the relationship is okay it just flows you know you don't have to put work in so we are okay with like putting work into everything we want to learn but sex we never had a good education around but everybody expects to be just a master in the bathroom so it's definitely about education it's definitely about the art of vulnerability, I would say, that really connects couples deeper and allows for a deeper sexuality, a more rich sexuality, is to really first go into the emotional connection that allows for deeper intimacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like you're really talking about not even just like the act of connecting sexually, but all of the things around it, like vulnerability and intimacy and good communication and that um, it helps couples not just in the bedroom in that way, but in how they relate to each other in a broader, in a broader sense. Is that correct? 
really like one one of my main approaches is like that a happy couple is formed by happy individuals you know when one individual is not happy it will automatically influence the quality of the relationship so both individuals have to be committed first and foremost to their own path to their own path of fulfillment and happiness and freedom and to see okay what is actually what is it that makes me happy and that fulfills me so i can fulfill myself and then bring this fulfilled self into the relationship and not expect my partner to fill in the blanks, you know, where I'm not happy and then expect anyone else to like know what I need and give that to me because they're my partner and they're supposed to make me happy. No, I am first and foremost responsible for my own happiness. Mm -hmm. And then I can bring this richness that I've developed or even the sadness, whatever it is, but I found something in myself that helps me to go deeper in my own journey and then I have something to bring to my partner and to my relationships. Yeah. Yeah. And why do you, why do you think the idea in our society is so prevalent that other, another person has to make us happy? Like, why do you think we struggle with that so much? I think because it really is pointing back as well to the parent and child relationship, you know, where the parents were supposed to fulfill the needs of the child. And most often they're not people, parents were not able to do that because they had so much to do with themselves, you know, they had bills to pay, maybe other kids to take care of, maybe on sicknesses, whatever. But there is this still this wound that we haven't healed in ourselves of the child looking to the parent, wanting the full attention, the full love, the unconditional love for the essence of the being that we never got. And then this is resembled basically in the couple's dynamic where it's not the parent anymore we look for the fulfillment but it's the partner that fulfills or like that takes over this role of the parent and i often found myself in the past in relationships where i had this tendency of mothering my partners you know but they were looking for oh you were so loving when we first started and then they got kind of complacent in this love that i was giving and you know they weren't giving it their everything anymore like they were in the beginning and then i started to withdraw and like okay if you don't give me anything anymore then you know i go my own way i'm an empowered grown-up woman so i don't need you to fulfill me and then they were upset with me not giving them anymore and then it was this downward spiral really that led to frustration and yeah 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 go ahead that's okay i just wanted to add something <laughs> yeah, I wondered, because I think you're speaking to something that's really a really common um, pattern in relationships that most of us don't recognize is even happening, let alone understand is negative, which is like caretaking. I mean, often it's a, it's a female identifying um, individual who is caretaking or mothering a male identifying individual. Um, that pattern, what do you view as so destructive about that or do you view it as destructive totally yes because it it's an unlevel playing field basically when you go in uh, in resembling a mother and child relationship it's not a level playing field anymore there's a lot of respect more often than not coming with this idea of like i feel like i have to sit next to my child watching that he's doing his homework Right? And it's this idea of I can change and mold my partner into a form that I want to be with instead of really relating to the individual, how he is or she is. Mm -hmm. And acknowledging the differences as like enrichments instead of obstacles. You know, we often tend to go for an idea that when we get rid of the differences, 
then we can be happy together. But often like I encourage the couples to like look at the differences and see, okay, what's the enrichment that comes from there instead of seeing it as an obstacle, as a flaw in the other. And the respect issue really is so important. You know, when you are not on eye level, when there's a mother-child relationship, you cannot be on eye level anymore. And that automatically leads to a loss of respect and to like demanding behavior or like insecure or codependent behavior of the partner who is in the weaker position, I would say. And it's definitely destructive. Yeah. Yeah. And what would you say, we talked a little bit about, you know, um, maybe the, the, the masculine wounding there around, right. Um, not being taken care of. Would you, what's the, like from the perspective of the person who is doing the caretaking, like, what have you seen that, what does that either come from or what is the shift that, like, why don't we all just all, why can't we just do that really easily, you know, and just say, oh, never mind, I'm not going to caretake you anymore. Why is that so hard? Why is that so hard for us to change? That's a really good question. I was sitting with this again and again because it was a pattern in my past and I have to really monitor myself to not have a pattern in the present. And what I came to the conclusion of is that it's a feeling of being safe. Like speaking from my own standpoint, it was giving me the position of power. It was giving me the position of control. It was giving me the position of safety in the relationship. I don't have to show my weaknesses. I don't have to show my vulnerability in the moment when I am superior to another being, when I am the mother and, you know, it's like, you haven't done the dishes, right? Or like, come here, my little boy, and let me stroke your head, right? I don't have to be vulnerable in this moment. And it was my personal issue of um, giving up control, of surrendering, of receiving, where I'm like, I'm a strong woman, I'm emancipated, I don't need anyone to take care of me, I can take care of everybody. And as well, I think it's a societal role where, where women are just encouraged, I would say, not necessarily pushed, but like encouraged by society, by like traditional role models to be the tech, caretaker of the family, where it's just super ingrained. They have seen it like this in their mothers and the mothers have seen it in their, their mothers. And it's like a societal lineage problem, I would almost say, like to, well, we have to be aware. We have to break the patterns that are super ingrained in society and say, okay, no, we want to have a relationship on eye level. We want to meet heart to heart where it's a level playing field, where we have equal rights and where we have an equal right to stay our truth. And only then can we build a relationship. And as well, this comes back to the idea of like, you have to be dedicated to your own personal life journey, first and foremost. So if you don't do that and you make your partner basically your life journey, you know, you make your kids your life journey, then it's very easy to slip into a behavior where you're the caretaker of the family, of everybody around you, and then you be resentful in the process because you don't get your needs fulfilled because you don't take care of yourself first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's very well stated. Um, and I think it ties in with what I, something that came to me to ask next as well, which is, I think what stands in the way, I mean, in my experience and in, cause I work with mothers. And so I see a lot of people online talking about this dynamic as well is, um, they feel really frustrated and angry because if they don't caretake or they don't remind to do the dishes, then it like doesn't get done. Right. And so mm -hmm. it's this double bind where you, even if you want to let go, there's this sort of free fall space that I think feels scary, but, and often it's, 
the anger and the resentment that's already there and the frustration that's coming up. So what would you say to somebody who maybe is listening to this and says, oh, I realize that I've been controlling my partner. I would like to loosen that up a little bit, but I get so mad because he won't X, Y, Z. What would you advise her to do with that anger? Mm. It's really first and foremost to accept to to realize where i am and yes that's my pattern yes i'm doing that often unconsciously right we don't necessarily get up in the morning and choose to do that no it's a pattern that's so ingrained that we really have to pay close attention before we even think about changing it we have to pay attention for a few weeks to even a few months to realize oh here my pattern comes out again in this situation right even like people who like to journal i love to journal you know you could like Take your journal every night before you go to bed and like write down, okay, in this situation, I feel an inclination to mother or to caretake. And when you have a clearer picture of where you do it in which situations, it's really good when you have the level of trust with your partner to have an open and honest conversation around this. And this is definitely something that I help my clients do to have these kind of difficult conversations because it's not easy to have. You can slip into argument spirals when you're not really, really careful. And having somebody just sit and hold space there with you makes it a lot easier not to slip into destructive communication patterns. Mm. So when your partner, or when you, when you trust your partner enough to, he's open or she's open to have a conversation around this to say, Hey, you know, I noticed something about myself and how do you feel around this? Do you feel overpowered by me? Do you feel mothered by me? Do you feel like we are on eye level? Do you feel like we have mutual respect for each other? So how does it all land for you? What I have noticed in myself. Yeah. And then to see, okay, how, what can we do as a couple in a solution way? How can we, act and counteract these patterns and behaviors to say okay in these situations it comes up that i mother you do you feel that as well yes i do feel it as well yes i do sometimes feel like overpowered by you or you treat me like your child uh okay how can you help me in these moments can you call me out when i do this can you be a bit more proactive from your side to do the dishes so I don't have to remind you? Or can we make a plan? Can we sit down and talk about what it is that you need to have more respect for me? Or where you could step up your game and um, yeah, be more proactive in your actions so I don't have to always caretake. And then it's really as well to work on the self. That's why I like to work with individuals when I like to work with couples, you know? to go deeper into the story. Okay, what is it in this woman or this man that leads to this behavior and this idea? For me, it was this idea of like, I cannot surrender, right? I have issues with surrendering. So can I have a date night with my partner where he's giving me a sensual massage where I learn to surrender? That was a big key portion for me to, to realize there's help outside. My partners want to help me when I let them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really great for people to hear as well, because I think a lot of women might feel that their partners don't want to help or that their partner wouldn't be open to that kind of conversation. 
And we taught them, right? We taught them, like we, we taught them this behavior. So we as well have to be compassionate. When we taught them, you don't have to help, right? Or like you only have to help when I scream at you. <laughs> That's something we taught our partners. So now as well, we have to compa be compassionate and help them unlearn these patterns and help them like reassess, okay, what's my role in this relationship? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if, and if, their partner is closed at first to those conversations like that's wounding as well right that's pro probably their own feeling of not feeling safe in talking to right uh, a woman or talking to their partner as well and so just like our wounds need that mm -hmm. compassion like bringing that in there seems like that would fit really well also. yeah like one tip for when one partners are close to communication about issues in a relationship is really to just have a moment to really feel into your own heart space and have this compassion and don't see it as offensive from your partner or like an unwillingness but an inability right it's not like most people are willing to communicate and they they're really longing for communication and deeper connection but they never got taught how to. And so there's a deep ingrained pattern in a lot of men, especially to just close up and run away and, you know, go to the hobby garage and, you know, go to the cars or go to the video games, whatever it is, they distract, like use as distraction from deep communication and really start out a communication. And like, I, this is not a criticism. This is not an attack to really name this and voice this. So it's clear from the beginning where I'm coming from because often the partner is used to me nagging, right? So when I want to have a different communication pattern, it's like, I know I'm so sorry for nagging so much in the past, but today I really just want to take the time and, and speak about something that's so dear to my heart. It's so important to me. And I hope you don't feel this as an attack. Mm -hmm. And to really just vocalize these things and take your partner with you every step of the journey, like connect the dots that you know inside, but your partner doesn't know. Yeah, yeah, that's really great advice. Um, I wondered if you had any advice, so again, for anybody who's listening to this that thinks this sounds really great or they love the idea of bringing Tantra into their everyday or having more of this type of relationship that you're describing, but maybe it feels but they have no idea how to get started. Um, yeah. What would you recommend to somebody who's interested but wants to learn more and maybe have some bite-sized ways to get started on this path? Totally. So there are really, really good books outside out there. I can definitely drop some of my favorites in the show notes, like Margot Onand, The Art of Everyday Ecstasy, The Art of Sexual Ecstasy. I really love reading, you know, and there are a lot of great, great podcasts out there and books and resources. They can go to my website, draw some articles around this. I just started recently like a Tantra basic series where I introduced like some very common but unknown like principles or philosophies around Tantra. So it's, a, it's an educational thing, right? But then it's as well, Tantra is not something that you can learn by being book smart. It's not, it's a very experiential thing. So what I really like to advise people is to go via the senses, right? Especially when we talk about sensuality and Tantra in everyday life, not only in the bedroom, but it as well plays out in the bedroom It's uh, as well. So when you go and sit in the morning, routine with your morning coffee or tea or newspaper whatever it is like even like brushing your teeth slowing 
down, slowing just way down with one particular action, right? Don't overdo it and like set a timer for every five minutes to like remind you to slow down, but just pick one activity. And I really like food and drinks and tastes and smells, right? So I make myself a morning cacao here in Guatemala. It's the land of cacao and it's really heart opening medicines. I can only just recommend doing cacao ceremonies with yourself in the morning. It doesn't have to take long, right? We're all busy people. So just five minutes out of your day in the morning, sitting there with your cup, having the intention for the day, going into the cup, smelling the cacao, taking time to taste the cacao. It makes such a difference how you go about your day when you slow down, when you remind yourself as well during the day a couple of times. And when it's hard for you to remind yourself, there's a really, really good app. It's called MindBell that you can download to your phone. It gives you like a signal tone about every hour and you can attach an intention to the signal tone. It's like, okay, I want to take five deep breaths. And just, we are so caught up in our heads all the time. And Tantra is something that really beautifully connects us to our bodies, right? To just take... This nice deep breath and just switch the energy, like focus on, on bringing the energy from the head to the body. as like the one single most important thing at the beginning, because then on top you can do all the nice exercises, but when you don't have the foundation of knowing how to switch your energy from the head to the body, they will always caught out, caught you, catch you up in the head. Right? When, you, when you read the instructions of an exercise, of a tantric exercise, they're like sometimes really, really complex. <laughs> so it's really important that you learn how to connect to your body and like bring your energy down. Ground yourself. Take the time with the things you do. Speak more um, slowly. Walk more slowly. Talk more slowly. Drink your cacao more slowly. And generally focus on everything that's sensational. Like when you have pets, right? Pet your kitten in a very sensual way, you know, like, and really engage into life, like engaging into life through the senses. It's so important and such a beautiful first step and it enriches our life in so many ways. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. So would you like to share your website? We can put it in the show notes as well, but just for people listening, if they want to go and learn more about you and read those articles that you mentioned. Totally. And that's what I want to mention because I, I pointed out that sometimes when we read these books, they are a bit like cookbooks, right? They're full of <laughs> recipes that sound totally yummy, <laughs> but they're just way too elaborate to ever put them into action, right? So that's why I designed a five-week course where I walk people in guided audio meditations and practices through basically step-by-step processes where they can more dive deeper into Tantra, into their energy bodies, into having a connection to their genitals, even when they're single. And as, well, as a couple, they can, they can just buy one course and do the course together and have it as a foundation of self-love and knowing, getting to know themselves in a way that's very easy to follow along, like way easier than like reading instructions of a book and like getting lost and caught up in the head and like, how do I do that? And so I want to mention this as well. I'm happy to drop that into the show notes as well for people yeah. who are interested in like diving with that. Awesome. And that's on your, is that on your website as well? It's a link on my website to the course, which is on like a course platform. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Do you, is your, do you want to say your URL also? 
it's www.lucia with a y l u c y a dash lalita l a l i t a dot com. Okay, perfect. Do you have um, social media? Any of the platforms that you're on that you'd like to invite people to follow you on? Yeah, I'm like usually sharing my writings on Facebook because it's like my home platform. And I'm as well planning to start a podcast very soon. So if you want to follow me on social media, that's Lucia Lalita Davy. You will find my account like this. And you can just feel free to friend me and add me. Or like, yeah, leave an abonnement and follow my writings. Awesome. And engage, you know, as well. When you have questions, reach out. There's a contact button on my website or reach out to the social media. I'm always happy to like take five to ten minutes out of my day to like yeah. stop you an, an idea of something you can do to solve an issue that you're dealing with. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so so much. Thank you for everything you shared today for this wonderful conversation and for being a guest. Thank you so much. It was so beautiful to connect to you. I wish you a beautiful day, wherever you are in the world, our listeners. And I hope to see you soon. Bye.